Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson. This is episode 28 of The Savvy Psychologist. As always, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. We'll use the best of psychology to help you be happy, healthy, and most importantly, yourself. So seeking help from a psychologist, psychiatrist, or other counselor can be a great way to get through a rough patch, get some perspective, or optimize your life. But not everyone is down with therapy. Some, maybe you included, would rather pass a kidney stone than make that first appointment. So for everyone, this week we'll address some common myths and fears that may be needlessly keeping you from getting help and feeling better. Next week, We'll cover how to talk to someone in your life who could use a psychological tune-up but needs a gentle nudge or maybe a compassionate kick in the head to seek out a few sessions with a therapist. So according to a 2007 population-based prevalence study, 29% of the population has a diagnosable disorder that's going untreated. That's almost one in three people. The highest treatment need was alcohol dependence, and then, in order, depression, social anxiety, and panic. And the same study found that less than one-third of people who needed help actually got help. So likewise, a 2009 study of over 36,000 people found that in the past year, fully 4% had thought seriously about suicide or had attempted suicide. And of that 4%, Half of those who had contemplated suicide and one quarter of those who had attempted suicide didn't seek help or even perceive the need for help. The take-home. There are millions of people out there, perhaps even you or someone you love, who could benefit from a few sessions with a good psychologist, psychiatrist, or other counselor. But it takes strength to seek help and know how to get in the door. To that end, here are five common barriers to seeking treatment and how you can convince yourself, or someone you love, to overcome them. Barrier number one, I can fix this myself. In an independent, self-reliant culture like ours, seeking help is often equated with weakness. But in truth, getting help is a sign of strength and courage. There's no shame in taking your car to a mechanic, your money to a financial advisor, or your golf swing to a coach. And you wouldn't treat a broken leg on your own. The same should be true for depression, addiction, or any other affliction that's sucking the life from your one and only life. Now, men in particular often have an aversion to therapy because they believe they can or should handle it themselves. Men, especially of a certain age, are taught to bear pain alone and silently. And in fact, a 2011 study of approximately 1,000 65-year-old men found that those who agreed with the statement When a man is feeling pain, he shouldn't let it show, were the least likely to seek out even a flu shot, much less therapy, and they had the worst health of all the men studied. Therefore, if you're dealing with a macho man who could use a mental health tune-up, link the idea of going to therapy to his existing beliefs about individual peak performance. For instance, you could say, a few sessions with a good coach would bring you back to your old unstoppable self. Or you could say, just like you saw your financial planner to strategize about taxes, let's consult with a psychologist about staying sharp. Or feeling awesome, focusing better, getting that extra edge, whatever works for you. Last ditch. If Tony Soprano and Metallica can go to therapy, you can too. Barrier number two. It's too expensive. This is a big one. 
So consider these five options to get you through the door without breaking the bank. One, if you have health insurance, you might be covered for psychotherapy and or substance abuse treatment. Most health insurance plans, including Medicaid managed care plans, are required to follow the federal parity law and provide mental health coverage. So call your insurance company and ask what your behavioral health coverage includes. And while you're at it, ask them for a list of psychologists in your area who take your plan. Two, see if your employer has an Employee Assistance Program, or EAP, available as part of your benefits. In general, EAPs offer short-term counseling for employees and immediate family, including help with drug or alcohol abuse, emotional distress like depression or anxiety, stress management, debt counseling, non-work-related legal issues, and a lot more. They're prepaid by your employer, which makes services free to you, and they're confidential so information about your use of an EAP cannot be disclosed without permission from you. Three, to go the private practice route, search online for sliding scale psychotherapy or sliding scale psychologist to find practitioners who charge based on your income rather than a set fee. Four, search out a clinic run by a psychology graduate training program. Most student clinics charge low or sliding scale fees and are staffed by PhD, PsyD, or master's students. All the students are supervised by licensed professionals, so you're kind of getting a two-for-one deal. You can look on the psychology department website of universities in your area or try searching online for School of Professional Psychology. Five, dial 211 or search for 211 online. 211 connects you to human services in your area that may include drug and alcohol services, food and shelter referrals, elder services, and a lot more. Barrier number three, but I'm not crazy. So many folks worry that going to therapy means they're crazy or out of control. But in reality, people go to therapy for all sorts of reasons, personal growth, coaching through a rough patch, to get a neutral outside perspective, to optimize their life, change a habit, and many more. Most importantly, they go because they want to make a change, but don't know how to start. So if perceived stigma is standing between a loved one and treatment, you may wish to frame therapy as lessons, coaching, consultation, or skills training. Indeed, most therapists worth their salt treat therapy like a one-on-one -on -one class, complete with homework. Lying on couches is a thing of the past, and no one wearing tie-dye and smelling of patchouli will clasp your hand and ask, how does that make you feel? More likely, a friendly professional will ask questions about symptoms, help you challenge ineffective ways of thinking and acting, and teach you some new skills. No incense or straitjackets necessary. Barrier number four. I don't want to end up in a psych ward. If you have enough presence of mind to worry about this, then rest assured, you'll be fine. In California, where I practice, you can only be hospitalized involuntarily for three reasons. One, you're an immediate danger to yourself, meaning you plan to commit suicide, or you're convinced, for example, that the FBI has planted a chip in your brain and you're trying to get it out with a knife. Two, you plan to kill a specific identified person, not just, I'm so mad I could kill someone. Or three, you're gravely disabled, which means you cannot feed, house, or clothe yourself because of a mental illness. As in, aliens have poisoned our water supply, so I'm not going to eat or drink ever again. If one of these things is true, you can be taken to a hospital for a 72-hour hold to make sure you and everyone else stays safe. 
Roughly half of the states have laws similar to California, where commitment is based on the level of danger. The remaining half have laws based on a need for treatment. But the bar is high and requires severe and persistent mental illness, usually coupled with an inability to live safely and independently. Again, if your mind works well enough to ponder whether this means you, it probably doesn't. But if you're still worried, you can search online for your state and the phrase civil commitment. The most likely option for most individuals contemplating therapy is seeing an outpatient provider. And this is light years away from a psych ward. Let me put it this way. If an involuntary hospital stay is the Hummer H2 of mental health care, then the traditional outpatient hour-per-week therapy session is a smart car. It will get you where you want to go. It's totally effective and safe, but it's a lot less intimidating. Barrier number five. I had a bad experience with therapy in the past. Yes, not every lid goes with every pot. And unfortunately, there are lots of lousy therapists out there. Therapists are people, and like all people, they have foibles and varying levels of competence. But one session from hell shouldn't keep you from finding a match made in heaven. So get a recommendation from a friend or look at reviews online. Cross-reference the list of psychologists from your insurance with therapist websites and choose someone with the philosophy that seems to fit you. And don't be afraid to shop around. Try on therapists as you would try on a new suit or test drive a new car. So to sum up, when it comes to therapy, you're always in the driver's seat. You're paying them, which technically means they work for you. You can always stop if you decide a particular therapist just doesn't chug your choo-choo. But give therapy a chance. The right therapist isn't a magician, but he or she can help you work wonders with your own life. Next week, we'll cover five tips on how to talk to someone you think could benefit from giving therapy a try. In addition, a related podcast from the archives you may want to check out is entitled How to Ask for Help. If the Savvy Psychologist is useful to you, let me know by subscribing to the podcast, liking on Facebook, adding me to your Google Plus circles, or emailing a link to someone important in your life. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and that's all for this week. A transcript of the podcast and references for studies I mention are always available on quickanddirtytips.com slash savvy hyphen psychologist. And of course, the Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for psychiatric care or psychotherapy by a licensed professional. Any names have been changed, details altered to protect privacy. Thanks for listening and see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. 
Listen in and start your path to healing today. The anxietycoachespodcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.